get them answered for you, but say hi, and you'll notice a tab down there for prayer request. If we can be a blessing in any way, please let's be praying for you. I can assure you that uh, tab is secure. It's not public. It is a very private source. Only one individual sees it. So feel uh, free and secure to post whatever uh, request we can be praying for. So uh, let's uh, pray, and uh, we will get started tonight and uh, see what the Lord has. Father, thank you for this opportunity to gather and just uh, continue to grow in your grace. Holy Spirit, we pray that you move abundantly, prepare every heart for your truth, anoint every word that's spoken, and uh, that we can just continue, as we said, to grow into your uh, your amazing grace. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. All right, we're going to pick up just in verse 5. As you know, Brother Brad spent uh, uh, all of last Wednesday just on one verse, just verse number 4. And again, as we keep on saying and reiterating, we could spend months, if not to the rapture, just in Hebrews. So much truth to unpack in there. So we're hitting some highlights that the Holy Spirit points out to each of us. So we're making progress to one more verse. So we're going to go from four to five tonight. Are we like rolling dice over there or what? Oh. You think I might say something I'm going to Whoa, what? I mean, no. So uh, what I want to talk about tonight, you, when I read the verse, you'll be f- familiar with it. And, and what I want to keep in mind is we get a, a clear vision from King David, who is writing this particular psalm we're going to look at that we're going to cross-reference out of Hebrews 2.5. But we also uh, see that Job references this same verse. But yet they... They relate to it or they refer to it in two different perspectives. Job's is more out of a, the state that he's in at the time that he quotes it, it is more of a desperate, just whatever, almost uh, give up type of, of statement. David's, on the other hand, David is the one we need to glean from. David is the one that says it in a way that's clear cut and, and what I want to focus on tonight. So. Let's look at this. So we're going to uh, back to Hebrews chapter 2, and we'll pick up. We'll go ahead and read verse 5 through 7. I say 5. It'll be 5 through 7. It says, For unto the angels hath he not put in his subjection the world to come, whereof we speak. But one in a certain place testifies, saying, What is man that thou art mindful of him? Or the son of man that thou visiteth him? Thou madest him a little lower than the angels. Thou crowned, uh, crowned him with glory and honor and didst set him over the works of thy hands. Now, uh, Brother Brad makes reference in his, in his reference work in, 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 in light of this verse, but we know the galaxy, they say, is 27,000 light years just to the center of it. So as that means, you got to travel at the speed of light, which is... What's it? 186,000 miles an hour for that whole length of time, for 27,000 years to get to the center. Then you got to get to the other side. I mean, millionaires, excuse me, that's right, millionaires. And that's our galaxy. And we know astrologers have identified that they're endless, the galaxies out there. And you say, well, what's the reference to that point? The point is when. 
David says here, well, here the author of Hebrews is saying it, but he's quoting from, and we're going to see from David and Job, what he's saying is, in the vastness of God's creation, what am I? What are we? You know, you, you see in there, God told Abraham, your, your offspring will be more than the sands, you know, the sea. When you talk about the infinite infin, you know, space, it's beyond a grain of sand. But yet the statement, who is God and why, not so much who he is, but why would he be mindful of this minuscule little me? And so that's what we want to look at. So if, like David, we'll correct our perspective on what is man and our thought mindful of him, then, like David, we'll have a correct view or a better view of truly who and what God is. Go back and look at... Uh, in verse 1, and it, uh, 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 where it is, verse, uh, well, it would be in Psalms. Never mind, don't go there. But it's going to waste too much time. So, but here's the problem. I, I want to preface it with this. We get lost in this process. When we start thinking about God and, and trying to wrap our minds around something of this statement, we get lost, and we talked about this Thursday night, with an illusion. And I may have referenced it on Sunday morning. I can't remember. I hate to be redundant, but we get lost in the illusion of choices. And, you, and while we have choices, we really don't have choices. And what I mean by that, there's either right or wrong, correct? So we are free willed creatures. God gave us the freedom to make choices. But if there's really only right and wrong, if we choose wrong, did we really make a wise choice? Was it really a valuable choice? It offers us nothing. So we can make the choice, but it's not really a choice. The only choice we have is to make the right choice. It's the only real choice we have. Every other choice is going to do us no good. It's going to be detrimental to us. And so we need to keep this in mind. And then in these sources that we got to understand the fact that there's consequences. And we don't weigh and measure these consequences and align them to God's word. The results can be extremely detrimental to our spiritual well-being. Uh, I, I was reading this. I say they, they being the brights, psychologists, and all these people. But they say that roughly, they say 96% of people are followers. Now, where they get that statistic from, percentage, who knows how accurate but let's just say, for argument's sake, it's 90%. On the whole, 90% of people are followers. Now, that's a dangerous scenario in and of itself. If 90% of everybody's only following 10%, how important is that 10% now on our culture and on the, the, you know, the well-being of man? Now, we know, you could, I don't know what the st statistic would be, but what do you could only imagine what the percentage of man that actually follow the word of God so you subtract that we're really getting the vast amount of our information and the influence that comes in our life is coming by sources that who knows where they're gathering their information from we know some of the thinking that goes on get on social media and you'll be inundated with minutiae of thoughts and opinions that people think we should, you know, follow. In fact, I mean, look at 
Look how popular influencers are now. I mean, there's 18, 19, 20-year-old young adults, and just because for some reason they amass this great following, companies come along, just use them, give them money, a lot of money. Some of them are already millionaires. Just They'll put anything out there to get paid. They may not believe it or anything. Oh, you'll pay me 25000 to say that? Sure, I'll say that. And everybody starts following them and liking it and commenting. They're, they're just using people just like the companies are using them. And so when we come to choices and we come to try to grasp this aspect of what is man and why would God be so mindful of us, we need to take the seriousness of that and the weight of it. So notice here in, in Hebrews chapter 2 and uh, verse 1, it brings back to light when we started this. Therefore, we ought to what? Ah, we ought to give. We ought to give a more earnest heed to these things which we have heard. So the author of Hebrews here is, is based on, if you read chapter 1, which we went through in fairly good detail, now starting chapter 2, he starts it off saying, Alex, before we go much further, we need to go back and take an earnest heed of these things that have been, we've been enlightened to. We need to keep them to the vest. We need to be aware of what is being said, knowing that our choices are consequential in our lives. So here the apostle lays down both a negative proposition in, in verse 5 as well as a positive one. Go back to verse 5 of chapter 2. For until the angel hath not he put into subjection the world to come, whereof we speak, that the state of the gospel church is always referring to this coming, whereas he's called the world to come, is not subject to angels. Now, while Christ and God used angels to bring forth the word, we talked about that, to reveal truth and our need for the gospel, when it comes to the gospel and the church itself, who self-ordains themselves to have full authority and power? Christ. Christ says, no, the angels are not going to have power over this. I'm going to deal with my church. I'm going to deal with the gospel. I'm going to deal with my creation personally. I will have complete authority and power over them. So even though he used the angels for clarity for the gospel, he's using himself, Christ himself, is empowered over the church and over his creation. And yet in all this, the gospel truth, Christ is still mindful of us. And this is why he is. And this is why Christ puts so much emphasis on his creation and why we're going to see in a second what David was able to understand that we need to understand of why that's so powerful and so important. But look with me in Psalms chapter 8, 4 through 6 here on the screen. There again, when now we see the psalmist, this is David referring to it. What is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou art visited him? For thou hast made him a little lower than angels, and have crowned him with glory and honor. Thou madest him to have dominion over the works of thy hands, and thou hast put all things under his feet. I mean, so much so that not only did, did you know Christ involved in creation and bringing us about, but then we've been ordained by God and empowered by God in Christ and, and really everything by way of creation has not Christ put us over creation animals all that we have authority and power through Christ to have dominion over this and, and so this is how much attention God's given to us so going on here so in the mind and the heart of God people are his foremost concern 
Now, we're going to look at Job chapter 7 here in a second. Job makes the same observation, but with a different emphasis. Rather than being captivated by God's attention, Job himself is caught up in the misery of his suffering. Wishes the Lord would just leave him alone to a certain degree. So look what Job says here in chapter 7. And uh, I think we're looking at verses 17 and 19. Says it again. Why does man that thou should be should magnify him, that thou shouldest set thy heart upon him, and that thou shouldest visit him every morning and try him every moment? How long wilt thou not depart from me, nor let me alone, till I swallow down my spite? So Job's just more like just leave me alone. Why do you care about me, God? I mean, look at I mean, look what I'm going through. The situation I'm in. You know, he's confused. He's lost. He's hurt. He's, he's more everything who knows what all the emotions job was dealing with so job's crying out like hey look why do you even care about me or us just, just just leave me alone let me die david on the other hand in all of his failures had the perspective we need to glean from because david was mindful and understood what god was doing so two things i want to point out first Let's look at Psalms 115, 12. When you think about why God is always so mindful of us and why we're so important to God, one, that should drive us to the fact that God is always mindful of us, thus we should never be forgetful of Him. If He's that mindful of us, how cautious should we be to make sure we never allow ourselves to be forgetful of his authority, his power, his provision, his blessings, his goodness, his righteousness, all these things that are bestowed upon us. Because if he never loses sight of us, which he doesn't, he never loses thought of us, how much more mindful should we be to always be in remembrance of him and who he is? Look what it says in Psalms 115:12. The Lord hath been mindful of us, he will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. David is praising the Lord from granting humans such superior position as creation. He writes, when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon, the stars, which you have set in place, what is it that you are so mindful of him, the son of man, that you should care for him? Look at Psalms 8, 3 through 4. Go back to it. When I consider all these things, when I consider that all you created in the galaxies and the vastness of it, all that we are, and me, less and smaller than a grain of sand in all your creation, and yet you've crowned me and empowered me and put me in authority over your creation here in the temporal. God doesn't do things by happenstance, does he? It's not like, well, I'm stuck with you. All right, I guess I have no other choice. No, in all of his creation, God has his perfect will. It was all ordained by his order. And when he created us, he creates us for a vast reason. He empowers us, he protects us, he guides us, and he directs us. We can't afford not to be just as mindful back towards him. We can't lose our humility. We can't lose our focus. We can't get so caught up and so wrapped up in our own temporal choices that we choose things outside of God's will for our lives. 
or outside of his word for our lives. Because if it goes in obstinance of what God has for us and his purpose for us, how can that be a right choice for us? can't be. So one, God is always mindful of us. Let us never be forgetful of him. Number two, let us then not forget to approach him daily in a way of obedience and duty. So it's not just being mindful of God. It's not just waking up, oh, God, thank you for another day. Thank you for saving me. I love you. You're all that in a bag of chips. Just want to say hi this morning and then run off the rest of the day and do what we want. No, because then when it goes from just being mindful of who and what God is in our lives, then that needs to transition over daily in every choice we make, all day, every day. It needs to be a reaffirmation in every choice that we make throughout a day that we're mindful of God. The Scriptures tell us, it talks about in the Old Testament, I can't think of the, the, the book, it's right there between Genesis and Malachi, but it tells us that, you know, God talks about our vain, oblig- our vain sacrifices. God doesn't care how much we acknowledge Him, per se, compared to how much He wants us to be obedient to Him. God doesn't so much need our lip service, He just needs our obedience to His Word. That's what He's asking for. What we would say today, put, you know, feet to your words. You know, put actions where your mouth is. It goes beyond just talking a good game. We have to live the right game. Job 24, 15 tells us, And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, shoot nigh. That's not, that's Joshua. Oh, that's what I said? Oh, that is right. I forgot where I was. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve. Which would be the gods of your father served, that they served on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will what? Serve the Lord. He didn't say, as for me and my house, we're going to give homage to God. Me and my house, we're going to put up plaques on our wall with some scripture on it. As me and my house, we're going to put bumper stickers on our car. Me and my house, we're going to say hi to God in the morning. Now, Joshua is saying, you got to choose you this day whom you're going to serve. You're going to serve the God of Israel that has shown you clearly who he is and who his power is and you know, what his power is and his authority over their lives. Everything that Israel had, God bringing them out of the deliverance of Egypt into the promised land. Joshua says, you know, he's about to die here. It's the end of Joshua 24, and he's brought all of the leaders together, and he's telling them, look, I'm about to depart from here. God's got us all the way here. He's used me. I've led you in his ways and his promises. We've gotten to the promised land. But you're to the point now, you've got to choose. You've got to choose daily. You've got to choose not only daily, you've got to choose every moment. Who are you going to serve? You're going to serve the God that's delivered us and made himself abundantly clear that he obviously has great attention and purpose for us? I don't know if the children of Israel, I mean, nobody can compare their lives to the children of Israel that have seen God work in their lives in such a powerful way. So Joshua's statement here is like, look, I'm, there's a choice to be made. Don't make this a difficult choice. Yet we do in the flesh, do we not? But Joshua says, choose you this day whom you're going to serve. 
as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We will carry forth this, this obedience, this duty that God calls us to and the purpose for our lives. The people had a choice to make. Obey the Lord and His proven trustworthiness or obey the gods of their fathers. The problem is it's easy to slip back into quiet rebellion. You know, well, I'm not rebellious. Well, I beg to differ because anytime we choose opposite of God's word, is that not rebellion? So just because you can twist it, turn it, coat it, paint it up, put lipstick on a pig, it's still what? Still a pig. So if we choose to go against God's word, we are a hardened heart and we are a rebellious child. Plain and simple. If a child, if your child makes straight A's and they're an honor student and they're the most popular in school and all that in a bag of chips, if they still go against your word, are they not rebellious? They're still rebellious. And so it's what's being pointed out here. We can fall back into quiet rebellion, going about life in our own way, but the time comes when we must choose who and what we allow to control us. That's what it comes down to. Who are we going to allow to have influence? Are we going to be the 90 percentile that's following something? Or are we going to make an easy choice and follow the God that loves us so much that died for our sins, gave us eternal life, has worked in and through our lives in ways we cannot deny, or are we going to let him be our influence, our social influencer, our spiritual influencer, our eternal influencer, and not succumb to the ways of the world? our own really our own flesh so why do we learn what can we learn from the psalmist here what can we learn from what david david says what is man and why is he so mindful of us of me let's go look at psalm 17 8 again it says keep me as the what as i hide me under thy shadow of thy wings here, David, now this is also re, uh, repeated in Deuteronomy 32.10, if you want to write it down, in Zechariah 2.8. It's the same cross-reference, the apple of God's eye, meaning that God brings us so much into focus, the apple, it deals with the, the, the retina, the center. I mean, it's a hard focus of God. It's not a wondering, oh, where did Todd go? What was his name? Oh, Todd, yeah, where's Todd at? Or any of us, plug our names in there. It's not a passing conversation. It's not the distant uncle that you run into every couple of years that's fun to hang out with. No, we're the apple of God's eyes. He's focused on us individually. Why would God put that much attention on us? But he does. It, one, it shows his immense love for us. And so when we quoted many times we hear god will never leave us nor forsake us yeah he can't leave us because he never takes his eye off of us so in order to become the focus of god the apple of his eye one must remain thus focused on what god focuses on fair enough say that again in order to become the focus of god's eye to get that that intimate relationship and in, in, you know relationship with god one must stay focused on what God stays focused on. So this is what I want us to walk away tonight. Four things we can see in Scripture that God focuses on. 
And I think it would behoove us greatly to likewise focus on these things. Because if we're looking at what God's looking at, then we're going to see what God sees. And then we understand better who and what God is. This is what David was able to grasp. Why Job pleaded, with, I say pleaded, was just like, hey, just leave me alone, God. Let me die. Maybe my wife's right. Maybe not cuss you, but maybe I should just die. David's like, oh, God, you're forever there. You're always attentive to my needs. No matter how dark it is, when I stay obedient, you're still a light in my life of hope and promise. One, we know, according to Romans 9, 1 through 5, God is focused on the nation of Israel. Always. Can you pull that out, Mark? Able to do both? Romans 9, 1 through 5. I say the truth in Christ, I lie not. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. For I could wish that myself... Paul talking here, were a curse from Christ for my brother, my kinsmen according to the flesh, who are the Israelites, to whom pertaineth the adoption, the glory, the covenants, and the giving of the law, the service of God, the promises, whose are the fathers, and whom is concerning the flesh of Christ came, who is overall God blesses, God blessed forever. It's talking about the blessings that were bestowed upon the nation of Israel. That brought, you know, that we know the second thing that brought forth Christ, Jerusalem. So it's not only the nation, God's children, chosen children, but the nation, the city, the location of Jerusalem itself. So one deals where Christ was birthed. And second is where Christ died and rose again. Look at Luke nine fifty one. And it came to pass when the time was come that they should be received up. Steadfastly, he set his face to go to where? Jerusalem. The very place that Peter and, and his radical tried to keep Christ from going. He tried to constrain him from going to do the very thing that Christ came to do. No, it says Jesus set his face like a flint towards it, Jerusalem. Unwavering. So not only does God focus on his nation, his people, he focuses on where Christ would be crucified, buried, and rose again. You can also see that in Genesis 22, 1 through 8, if you want to look at that for cross-reference. Third thing God focuses on is his word. The word for the fact that it's the fulfillment of all of his promises. It makes God who God is, is his word. Who God says in John 1, 1, and then verse 14, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In verse 14, it says, The Word became what? Flesh and dwelt among us. The deliverance of the promise. What was spoken was now delivered. What was spoken of in Genesis 3.15, what was testified to and prophesied about by all the Old Testament prophets, major and minor, comes to the point to the fulfillment of it in Christ in flesh the fulfilling of God's promise in his word. So not only the nation of Israel, where Christ was birthed, Jerusalem, where he was buried and rose again, God's word that makes God God because he keeps his word unlike man. And number four is 
his creation people like David God's eye is focused on those who are interested in the first three things Israel Jerusalem and the Word of God and they all tie back to who the Christ God's looking and he gets hyper focused on those who keep their eyes on Christ in every way possible and not just in acknowledgement but in obedience and in duty in, uh, in duty not just making a mindful thought or passing thought and every now and then but somebody that is never forgetful of what he did for us and what he provides for us this is what David was able to grasp so as David's really kind of making to himself maybe you can say a rhetorical statement who is God that is mindful of us and, and, and he, he's understanding why God's so mindful of us he understands God's immense love for us David grasped that amongst all of his sin he understood God's love for him he never wavered on that running from Saul running from Absalom hiding in caves everything when he was down just himself David never gave up his thought on God in his life he was hyper focused on God at all times that's what made David such a humble man is why God was able to say David is a man after my own heart what do you mean David has an eye to the things I have an eye on the reason my eyes on David is because David's eyes see as I see so are we in focus with God do we see what God sees or do we see what we want to see and what we see sometimes we just see what we want God to do for us rather than seeing what God wants us to do for him so we focus on what God's focused on which we know God's focused on Christ we need to stay focused on Christ we do that we'll be the apple of God's eyes and we'll have a, a, a you know, stronger intimacy more clarity more vision God's gonna be able to get more things done in us and through us amen questions comments Nothing? Nobody? What are you laughing about, Delina? Or smiling? Not laughing.